0: going to talk this morning preach this morning on the the subject he is resurrecting me. Yesterday was resurrection Sunday but I don't think there's ever a bad time to talk about the resurrection of Jesus and and the gospel of Christ. So I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to bounce around a little bit, which I normally try to avoid doing. But to get the whole of the chapter without reading the whole chapter, I think it's necessary to kind of jump around a little bit. So we're going to read the first four verses of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, and then jump down to verse 14, and then... And jump a couple other places. First Corinthians 15. We'll start at verse 1. Paul writes and says. Now I would remind you brothers. Of the gospel I preached to you. Which you received. And in which you stand. And by which you are. Being saved. Notice he did not just say. You were saved. Past tense. But he says you are. Being saved. If In fact, we hold fast to the word, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now jump down to verse 14. you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. By falling asleep, he's speaking of those who have passed on before us. He's saying if there's no resurrection, then they've perished. If there's no resurrection, our faith is in vain. If there's no resurrection, we're still in our sins. In verse 19, he says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So as much as people live for right now and talk about right now and think about right now and think this is all there is, Paul doesn't live with a temporary mindset. He does not preach with a temporary mindset. He says if in Christ, if followers of Christ, if Christians, of all people, if if Christians have hope in this life only, if we're so temporary focused, then he says of all people, we're most to be pitied. Because our hope, our life, we're living for what is to come. Amen. And he says in verse 20, But if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, he's speaking of Adam, and we'll read more, he continues to talk about Adam, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. He's saying, if you're of the flesh, there's death. In Adam all die, but in Christ shall all be made alive. Now we're going to jump down to verse 35 and 36. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? And he says, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies and then he continues and he talks about wheat and grain and how a seed sown does not come to life unless it first dies when you sow something it has to die first before there's a resurrection we'll pick it back up at verse 42 and read verse 49 and then i'll get to the preaching part i promise So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. He's talking about our physical bodies. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. I'll read that one more time. The first man, Adam, became a living being. That word is meaning soul. Adam became a soul. Everybody who walks this planet, whether they're spiritually dead or spiritually alive, they have a soul, they are a soul, and our soul is eternal. We will spend eternity somewhere. Adam and all of Adam's descendants, so Adam, Everybody, white, black, brown, yellow, red, whatever your skin color, we're all sons of Adam. We all have a soul. We are all a living being. But the last Adam, meaning Jesus, became a life giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Lord, I love You. I thank You for Your Word. I pray, Lord, for strength to preach Your Word. I pray, Lord, that Your Word would come about with clarity, and conviction this morning. And I pray, Lord, that your resurrection power would come forth by your word that is alive and active in this place. In Jesus' name, everybody say, it. Amen. Amen. Have you ever been wrong? No. I don't like being wrong. I know. Most of us probably don't, but I think especially myself, I like to be right. And uh, sometimes my parents say I'm argumentative. I don't know why they would say that, but I like to be right. I don't like to be wrong, especially over something that I, I feel is important. I will not argue with you, but I will show you why you are wrong, and I'm right. But... But we're all wrong probably a lot more than we would like to admit. And actually, I would say right now we're wrong about things that we don't even realize. I don't think any one of us has a perfect doctrine, a perfect doctrinal statement. Not that it, not that, that is not important, but we're not all right about everything. I only know one person that uh, has never been wrong. And he's sitting in this room this morning. DG Conway says, uh, One time I thought I was wrong, but then later on I found out I wasn't. And I think I inherited that from him. Because my dad says, I know everything. And I believe him. Because he's my dad and my pastor. And I know he wouldn't lie to me about something like that. But, but outside of, of him, all of us have been wrong at times and probably are wrong about things that we don't even realize. And I, what I started to say was that I don't think anybody has a perfect, perfect, well, you might think you do, but I'm sure you're wrong about something. Dale Everett when he was here he said when Jesus returns and when we see him none of us are going to be looking around at each other saying I told you so we're all going to be falling on our face we're all going to be amazed and in humility and awe and in wonder of who he is that but that's not to say that that our beliefs are not important because there are some things that you can't get wrong there's some things that you can't afford to get wrong and at the the pinnacle at the peak at the the top of this list or this pile of things that you must get right, I believe is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you don't get this right, then you're not going to get anything right. Because the Gospel of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection is the foundation of what we believe. It is the purpose of everything that we believe. It is it is the center of all truth, of all purpose of all meaning. It's the, at the center of all true doctrine. It's at the center of Christianity. It is at the center of our salvation. If you don't get the foundation right, then your building's not going to be right. And at the foundation is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So we can nitpick about things. We can debate about things. And it's not that other things, peripheral things, are not important. I believe many of them are. But at the center, if... if you. What you must get right to be saved is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because our faith is built upon this. Our worship revolves around this. Our salvation is dependent upon this. There's no salvation without the death of Jesus. There's no salvation without the resurrection of Jesus. It is the message of the Gospel. And we know from Scripture that the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is the message of the Gospel that saves us. It is the message of the Gospel that that sets us free. It's the Gospel. The good news about Jesus. That's what the word Gospel means is, is good news. It's good news because Jesus died for us. It's good news because he loves us it's good news because he rose again it's it's good news by definition it is good news even though the message of the gospel is confrontational even though it convicts us it confronts us in our sins and in our selfishness in our selfish ambition and motives and and desires it, it confronts us and convicts us, but it is it is good because it sets us free from those things. It is good because it gives us new life. It is good because it's the message of our salvation. It's good because it creates in us a clean heart. The resurrection of Jesus is the good news that we also can be resurrected unto him it's the good news it's because of the resurrection that we can be brought into new life with him and what paul wrote and we read in 1st corinthians 15 is that this is the message of what paul said is first importance he said this is of first importance in other words if you're going to get something right you better get this right it's a it's First and foremost, it is of utmost importance because the message of the gospel is the message of our salvation. There's no other way to be saved. There's no other way to God. There's no we sing about his name. There's no other name by which we must be saved. There's no other way to freedom than through the gospel of Jesus. There's no other way to new life. There's no other way to fulfillment. There's no other way to hope. My mom and I on, now I don't even remember what day it was, last last week, uh, we're riding in a, a car together, and we were talking just about how empty people's lives are without Jesus, how empty people's lives are without the gospel, and people try to fill it with different things and try to... Um, take their mind off the reality of eternity with career and life and and whatever but there's an emptiness that comes when there's an absence of the gospel in one's life the gospel is what gives us life is what gives us peace it's what gives us fulfillment and this is what paul says is the essence of the gospel here in first corinthians 15 he lists out three things he says firstly that christ died for our sins he says three things he died he was buried and he rose again the first thing he said was that he died for our sins and that seems like a simple statement but that one that one sentence has a lot of implications and i believe teaches us a lot he died for our sins. Firstly, I would say it implies uh, that we are in need of a savior. We need someone to, we needed atonement for our sins. We needed someone to do something for us that, that we couldn't do for ourselves. We needed, we needed a savior, and then I think this would in, in, in turn imply who he is in order to be our savior. In order to be a sufficient sacrifice. In Psalm forty-nine it says that uh no, no one man can pay the ransom for another man's soul. Meaning I I I can't I can't pay for your soul because I have my own sin. I can't pay for your sin. I, I'm not a sufficient sacrifice for you. No one could be unless they were. Um, unless, unless they were themselves sinless. And we know that Jesus came to be the spotless Lamb of God. He was, he was sinless. And also in that same psalm, in Psalm 49, later on it says that only God could ransom a man's soul. So Jesus could not just be any man, any normal human being, but, but he had to be God, but he, he also had to be man. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. He died for our sins, meaning he, he stood in our place. And I don't, I, we probably should read it, but Isaiah, Isaiah 53 gives us great detail, Isaiah prophesying before the coming of Jesus, before the coming of the Messiah, prophesying about what His death would be like, that He would be beaten and bruised for our sin and our iniquity and the uh, the sin of the world would be laid upon Him and that it it was the will of God to crush this man of many sorrows and, and suffering. He was speaking about Jesus jesus died for our sins secondly paul says is that he was buried so he really died there are theories out there that try to say that he didn't die he was he just was passed out or whatever they try to say but he he really died he had to die for our sins because the punishment of sin is death the wages of sin is death so he he died for our sins he was buried but on the third day he was raised on the third day proving all of these thousands of years of prophecy to be true the resurrection of jesus solidifies and secures the promises of god if jesus was not raised from the dead then we have a dead savior meaning we have a dead religion But there's nothing dead about Jesus. So there shouldn't be anything dead about our faith. There shouldn't be anything dead about our praise. I know I don't feel good and have much energy this morning, but there shouldn't be anything dead about our preaching. There shouldn't be anything dead about our prayers. There there shouldn't be anything dead about our life because there's nothing dead about Jesus. He's alive forevermore. He's alive. So there's nothing dead about our spirit and there's nothing dead about our soul when we're born again because Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. The Romans, they thought they'd killed Him. The Pharisees thought they'd gotten rid of Him, but we know the story. Three days later after He was hung up on a cross and then buried in the borrowed tomb, three days later when the women went to anoint his body with, with spices because he was dead and they thought his body would be decaying when they went to go perform this act, his body wasn't there because he was dead no longer. But Jesus is alive in the empty tomb, was there and is there to prove it jesus said in john 14 he said because i live you also will live because jesus is alive we have hope because jesus is alive we have life if if he did not rise from the dead then our faith is in vain if he did not rise from the dead then our preaching is in vain but if he did and paul says in fact he did and I think we know he did because we're we're living in the experience of the resurrection, we're living in a new life where we've experienced healing, we've experienced salvation, we've experienced redemption that can only be described because of the the res by the resurrection of Jesus. because he lives, we also will live. this is the message of the Gospel that Paul said. We read it, but Paul said, in which you stand and in which you are being saved. Paul said the Gospel, it was in verse in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 15. He said that uh, this is the Gospel that you received and in which you stand. The word received literally meaning take possession of or to make your own. So we don't just receive the gospel passively. It's not something we believe in passively. But it's something that we actually grab a hold of. And experience is something that we actually take possession of. And walk in. And live in. He said this is what you've received. And this is what you stand in. The word stand in. Is meaning. Established. Meaning we are established in the gospel or the gospel is established in our life. I don't know about you, but I want to stand in the gospel. I don't want to just passively say I believe it. But I want to experience it, take hold of it, live in the gospel of Jesus. I want to be like Paul in Philippians 3 when he said, Oh, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. I want to know Him. I want to know the power of His resurrection. Yes. Paul went on in Philippians and he said in the same sentence, in the same verse, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. He said, becoming like Him in His death so that I may attain the resurrection. So without death, there is no resurrection. Resurrection. In Romans, he said, if, if, if we die, have died with Christ, then we will also live with Him. But he said, if we have died with Christ, we will live with Him. He didn't say, if you just flippantly or passively say, oh, I believe. He said, no, if you've died with Him, you will live with Him. So we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. These aren't my words, this is Scripture. This is Paul in Romans and Galatians. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So without death, there is no resurrection. Without death to self, there is no life in Christ. Without death to the old life, to our sinful nature, to our sinful desire, there is no life in Christ. There's death and then life. Paul says, and I believe this is what Paul is talking about here in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians when he says, what you sow does not come to life unless it first dies. He gives the example, we didn't read it, but he gives the example of wheat and of grain, saying that it's sown, but it has to die before it comes to life. And he's talking about, he uses that as an illustration or as an example of, of our physical bodies. And he's talking about future resurrection. He's saying that if our, our natural body goes through a death in order to be resurrected on the last day. But he, I don't believe he's just meaning uh, the final resurrection. I believe he's also talking about our physical life right now. Because how many of you know right now we can experience resurrection in this life? And then we have the hope of eternal resurrection at the when Jesus returns and when He calls His bride unto Himself. But I believe He's talking both future and also right now. He's talking about our physical body, but He's also talking about our physical life. So Paul explains it by reminding us that we, we all have, have come from Adam. Meaning we all have... A nature like Adam, he said, and Adam was was a man of dust. We know God formed man and out of the dust and breathed life into him in Genesis, and it says he became a living being. The same phrase Paul uses here in, in Corinthians, meaning soul. And he says that uh, that all of us, all of us descendants from Adam, we have we have a nature like Adam. Because we also are of the flesh, meaning we have inherited what Adam had. And he says that through one man, he's talking about Adam, came death. Through one man came sin. And so he's talking about our physical life our physical body and he describes it as being perishable, as being sown in dishonor, as being sown in weakness because of sin. He's saying this is what we have inherited through Adam. But Jesus, Paul says, is the last Adam. He's the truer Adam. And through this one man, so just through how one man came death, through one man came sin. And we've all the Inherited that through one man, Christ Jesus, comes life and not death. Through one man, Christ Jesus, comes resurrection from the dead. Because he conquered death by going through it in the flesh and being raised. The scripture says that he condemned sin in the flesh. So through Adam came sin and death. But Jesus came and he conquered Both of them. And so for those of us who hold fast to His death and resurrection, Paul says we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Meaning that we all have inherited, we all have a nature like Adam. But if we die with Christ and we live with Christ, then we will also bear a nature and become like Christ. If we become like Him in His death, then we will become like Him in His life. But there's no resurrection without, without death, without being crucified with Christ. So through Adam came death, but through Jesus comes resurrection from the dead. Through Adam came sin, but through Jesus comes freedom from sin. Through Adam came judgment, but through Jesus comes forgiveness. And being just before God. So just as we have inherited these things through Adam, we have a greater inheritance from the man of heaven. Just as Adam became a soul, it says Jesus became a life-giving spirit. And so Jesus became a life-giving spirit, meaning Meaning that we who have His Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit, we, we are being made new. We are becoming like Him. Meaning we have the same power, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That same power, Scripture says that, that 2,000 years ago raised the body of Christ. Now dwells in us who believe in Jesus and who have who called who called on him and received his spirit that same spirit dwells in us today this is why Paul would say and could say that we are being saved not just past tense not just we've been saved but we are being saved i like to say it we have been saved we are being saved and we will be saved. He's actively working in us. His Spirit is actively working in us, saving us, transforming us, resurrecting us. We are living in the power of His resurrection. And living in the resurrection means that really, there's a ton that we could go through, but I have two implications that I would really like to talk about. The first being that Living in his resurrection, meaning that our sin is forgiven and it is paid for, because Jesus died and rose again, we can die with him and now live with him, and our sin is paid for our 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 payment is our payment was made in the body of Jesus, so we can find life in him. and then Paul says also that there is no fear or sting of death. So our two big enemies, sin and death, and Jesus conquer both of them. There's no there's no fear or slavery to sin, because we have a new life in Jesus. And we're no longer a slave to sin, but we're a slave to our master in heaven who's good to us and leads us to life. Sin promises things and leads to death. Jesus our our our, our Savior, our master, our father in heaven, he leads us to life. So we conquered sin and then death. There's no fear of death, Paul says, and there's no sting of death. People in the world fear death because they don't know what's on the other side. There's a lot of speculation. Everybody has an opinion. People try to come up with fairy tales to make themselves feel better about themselves but truthfully they don't know and it may sound prideful or arrogant for us to act like we know because we haven't been there yet but we know because of the promises of God we know that no matter what it looks like we're gonna be with him we know that whatever the streets of gold look like we're, we're going to, the important thing is we are going to be in his presence there's no there's no fear of death And then there's no sting of death. People in the world, there's sting of death because to them, this is all there is. This is all they live for. This is all all they hope for. Whatever life has to offer. So people will say things like, uh, live your best life now. And get what you can out of life right now because this is all there is. But we have a hope that is much greater than that. Paul said, if your hope is in this life, if, you're, if you are a, call yourself a believer in Jesus, and your hope is in this life, if you're living for this life, if you're storing up treasures for this life, he says you are most to be pitied because we have something greater that's coming. Not that this life has to be terrible and miserable and we need to be poor and broke. I'm not meaning that. That's not what Paul meant. He's just saying, where is your heart at? Do you believe, do you trust God that what he has for us is greater than right now? So we don't live right now for right now. We live right now for the eternal eternity that we are going to be in and inherit through Jesus. So there's no more sin. There's no more There's no more slavery to sin, rather, and there's no more fear or sting of death. Because the resurrection reminds us that there's something deeper, there's something truer than what we see right now. There's something more real, there's something more perfect, there's something eternal that we have in Jesus that God has prepared for those who love Him. And so the good things in this life, it's not like this life is bad. Or has to be bad. But the good things in this life, even, even the pleasures in this life, I would say, are meant to point us to the real thing that is eternal. Because everything right now is just a type. It's a shadow. It, it's fleeting. But it, it, it's almost like whetting our appetite for what is to come. In the, in the the life to come. So Jesus died and rose again so that we could sow this life and reap eternally. So the resurrection changes not just right now, but the resurrection, it changes our forever. And you could flip that and say it doesn't just change our eternity, it changes our right now. Bo- both would be true. It, it changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. I have a couple more verses I want to look at, but I'm going to be closing here in a moment. So I don't know if RJ or Ashley, either one, wants to come forward with me. But uh, if you would look at, or if we could put it on the screen, I want to, I told you I was done reading, but I wasn't. First Corinthians 15 again, towards the end of the chapter, I'm going to pick it up at verse 54. When the perishable, he's talking about us, he's talking about our physical bodies, our physical life. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death... Where is your sting? We've already said it, but we know death has no victory over those who are found in Jesus. Death has no sting over us. And then in verse 56, he kind of expounds and explains a little bit. He says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he said the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. He said the sting of death is sin because because sin is what leads to death. Without sin there would be no death. God did not create us for us to die. But after sin came, sin causes death the results the repercussions the the wages of sin is death so Paul says the sting of death is sin because sin is what leads to death and then he says the power of sin is the law now without preaching a whole nother message the law of God is not a bad thing the law of God is what teaches us right from wrong in fact scripture says the law is what convicts us of sin because we wouldn't know right from wrong without the law of god it's not that the law is bad but the law does not have the power to change us or to save us but the resurrection of jesus does jesus came not to do away with the law but he said i came to fulfill the law I came to be the completion of the law. I came to complete it in a way that you never could. I came to fulfill the perfect law of God. And so that when you are found in me, so that when you die with me, you have life with me, you are made perfect even in the law of God. We're just. The law does not condemn us because the blood of Jesus frees us from the conditions of the law. Jesus defeated sin. Jesus conquered death and Jesus fulfilled the law through His death, burial, and resurrection. In the last verse that Paul said, he said, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. A better rendering of that verse would be thanks be to God who keeps on giving us the victory. Because what the English word does not do, what the Greek word does, what the English word does not do is it shows us that the, the the tense is ongoing. So we read that verse, verse 57. Can we put that up one more time? No? I can't tell if you're joking or not, that's all right. It says, thanks be to God who, who gives us the victory. We read that, it almost sounds like he gave us the victory past tense true he won the victory at calvary but the sentence or the phrase there means or it's actually saying that he keeps on giving us the victory through jesus so i don't know where you need victory in your life today but there's still victory in jesus because there's still power in the name of jesus because jesus is still alive he's still alive would you stand to your feet with me He's worthy of praise. He's worthy of honor. He's worthy of our life. He's worthy of us dying with Him in order to find life with Him. So I'm not going to preach a fake gospel, a false gospel, a feel-good gospel where the message is about how God wants you to be as happy as you can be right now true he wants you to be happy true he wants to fulfill you but in our flesh and in our carnality we take that which could be a true statement and we pervert it and make it to be whatever it is we want it to be the truth of the gospel is that we must die with Christ in order to be made alive with him and it is in our death that we find life in him So, Lord, I thank you for the power of your resurrection. I thank you, Lord, that your power is not waning. Your power is not fleeting. The things of this life are death is even fleeting because it's just the doorway to be with you. So, Lord, I thank you that we don't fear it. I thank you, Lord, that your spirit gives life to our mortal bodies. I pray, Lord, for healing right now to anyone who is sick, to anyone who is cast down. I pray, Lord, Your Spirit would lift them up. I pray, Lord, for anyone who is bound in sin. I pray for conviction and, and correction and resurrection to new life. Lord, I thank You for the power, the power that is still alive, the power, Lord, that is in this place. We praise You in this place. We thank You in this place. Whatever you need from Him, He can give it to you this morning. If you need new life, He's the life giver. Because Paul said He is the life giving Spirit. He's the life giving Spirit. When Jesus... Before he ascended, he was on the earth still for 40 days. And he went around appearing to, to his disciples. And he was very, his body was resurrected because his body was in the tomb. And then when God raised him from the dead, his body was no longer there. So it's not like he got a new body. His old body, his perishable body, was sown and then came to life again. He, he resurrected it. I hope that's making sense. He resurrected and, and he became very spirit-like. He could walk through walls and, and was doing things. And this is what Paul was talking about when he said, that he became a life giving spirit. He gives us new life. He gives us new life. If you were, raise your hands with me. Lord, you know every soul, you know every living being in this room this morning. You know every living being that might be watching this, listening to this on on Facebook or YouTube. Lord, I pray that you would touch each person. Lord, I pray that we could with confidence say that we know you and we know the power of your resurrection. And Lord, if anyone does not, I pray, Lord, your spirit would awaken. I pray your spirit would begin calling. Father, I pray you would begin drawing people unto yourself. And Lord, for those of us who are saved, who have been born again, don't stop now. Continue calling us to yourself. Continue calling us to yourself. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.